We bring you greetings this evening in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And I trust that's why we're here this evening. It's not because of the beautiful weather. It's not because of we have many seats here. It doesn't matter how few seats we have. There's always room for one more. And I trust this evening that as we've come, that we've come with a heart that is yearning. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, it says that blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We heard this evening in the devotional that we need to cast out our net. I do believe when we are surrendered, when we fall prostrate at the feet of Jesus Christ, he's going to, he's going to fill our nets and we're going to catch fish like never before. You know, there's times that we think we catch fish and we've got to clean them. My friends, we don't have to clean them. He just asks us, implores us that we would go and we would catch the fish in the name of Jesus Christ. And you know what he'll do? He'll clean them up. He'll sanctify them. He's the one that does the dirty work. We're just the ones that go catch fish. We want to be faithful. Amen? Amen. Bring in, oh, my friends, this evening I pray. My prayer is that the borders of the stakes of not just this tent, but the community here could be strengthened and they could be enlarged. They could be stretched out that we could understand what it means, my friends. It's not a compromising situation that we bring people in, but it's because of the love of Jesus Christ. It's because of the gospel. Why? Because it is alive. You know, we have a lot of people that hope that they get to heaven. We have people that say that I hope that my good works will prevail. I hope I make it to heaven. My friends, it's because of Jesus Christ and His abundant mercy. As it says in Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, according to His abundant mercy, He has begotten us again into a lively hope in righteous socks and lavendi hoffnam. And it says, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have everything going for us, my friends. The love of Jesus Christ. It is a blessing to be here with you all tonight again. When I got here, you know, I didn't know exactly who all I'm going to know. You know, I don't really know your names, all of you, but I know some of you. And I look at you tonight, not just as subjects, but I look at you when I look into the countenance of your face, your eyes, I see a soul that is headed to an eternal destiny. And that is the thing, my friends, unless we do that, we will not have a burden. As soon as we cease to bless, my friends, as soon as we cease to have a burden for people, we cease to have a We will not be praying for them. And I trust this evening that we will be praying for our brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter necessarily what God has brought them to, their journey. It doesn't matter that maybe the sins that they've fallen into, the things that they've stumbled in. Yes, it's sad at times, but my friends, I'd like to tear, tell you tonight, I'd like to share with you tonight that there is hope as long as the sun's shining and God is, uh, we are here alive. There's mercy of God and we can be strengthened and we can have the hope of Jesus Christ and we can be born again, my friends, if we do not squander the time that we have. We're not promised for tomorrow, but we have this moment to love and to cherish and we want to encourage one another, my friends. I've been encouraged, my friends. You know, we were spent the evening, the other evening with Ellis and Joanne, I believe is her name. Joanne is, uh, we, little did we know, I didn't know Ellis, little, I didn't even know Joanne, but we got together, we visited, found out that she was a twin sister to Dale Ropp, which my wife and I flew in the north in the wilderness many, many trips with Dale. Dale and Fietta we know for many years, and Dale had lost his dear wife Fietta. But you know, there was just, there's just acquaintances. You know, we have a goodly heritage. That heritage we have is not going to get us to heaven, but we need to make foolproof of the opportunities we have and not squander it. Not squander it. There's many times people, they get soured, they get bitter. Something has happened within the church, so to speak. They get bitter and they walk away from it and they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Tonight, I don't know where you're at, but there is an element that is a virtue of being a Christian when you're surrendered, that we can have forgiveness one for another. I'd like to speak of that tonight, that we want to speak about forgiveness tonight in just a short term. I know we don't have much time, but I've been blessed tonight also. Last evening we were at Mark and Aretha's and their family. We enjoyed that very much. And, you know, I didn't know Mark very well, but I appreciated what I seen coming from Mark and his family you know, we shared there, and there was a lot of connections there. My wife is a good friend of Mark's sister, Anne, in Lancaster, Missouri. And uh, it's just a blessing to, to have friends you can connect with. And today, God has graced us also with a tremendous hospitality to be at a home where two sisters live. And I believe you all know who they are. Probably the oldest sister here is Myrna Shank. 
And I'd like to just give a tribute to her this evening and her husband Sanford for the, for the vision they had, not just for this community, but for the church of Jesus Christ as a whole. And I'm not lifting her up or anybody that works at CLERP, but my friends, let me tell you, they have been an aid and a comfort to the church and an arm of ministry to the church for many, many years. And God bless you, Myrna, and faithful sister Crystal. You know, they've been in our lives for many years. We've loved them. We've always appreciated them. And they invited us to come to their home. We felt very grateful. We felt honored and very humbled to be asked to come. They were tremendous hosts. We enjoyed it. Our little daughter, my wife, Marietta, and also my daughter, Marianne, we were all three there. And we had an enjoyable time of visiting. But the thing of it is, my friends, that God has chosen them into this community and into the vision that God had placed upon them. It was a spiritual vision. It was a vision not for to make money for themselves or to see how much accumulation they could have, but it was a work for the Lord. And God has enriched that mission. And God has enriched that vision. And it's going out through many, many places of the world. We had a tour today, and we were blessed by that. My God, my, you know, my friends this evening, let's not squander those opportunities. There is tremendous opportunity in our land yet. We don't know when the doors will close, but I believe they're closing faster than we think they are. Christianity today in America is being looked at, and it is being looked at with scoffness. They're scoffing it. We have this blessed opportunity, my friends. We are God's people. We want to serve him and stand together this evening. We don't know what's coming, but we know who leads us, and that's Jesus Christ. We're grateful for that. The brother prayed this evening that God would stir up. You know, the Bible talks about, in 1 Peter, about stirring up our pure minds. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it's verse 24, it says, that we are not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but that we are together, and we are to stir up one another and to love and good works as much as we see the day approaching. The day is coming, my friends. One day he's coming back. Are we ready? That is our purpose of being here tonight. It's not talking about great big philosophies or theologies, but it's talking about being prepared to meet the Lord. And tonight I'd like to share, if you turn your Bibles, if you would please, to John chapter 8. I'd like to read there from verses 1 through 11. And I'd like to read there about a story. I paraphrased a bit of a story. I'm going to do a lot of reading tonight in this. It is simply bringing out, you know, there's so many times that we as God's people, we think that we have the answers and we become judgmental. We become judges of everybody else and all the wrongs and so forth. But my friends, tonight, when I'm preaching this, I want to have one thing sure, that you understand that I do not minimize sin, but there is something that we need to do. If God has mercy, why can't we have mercy? God is the ultimate judge in John chapter 8. My heart bleeds when I read this. I have wept. I have wept about this situation. There's situations, maybe not in this community, I don't know you folks, but there's situations I know of that I have experienced this very thing. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says here in John chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, it says, early in the morning, it says he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when he had set them in the, in her mid, in the midst, they set her in the midst that she was, she was conspicuous. She was sitting right there. And they said unto the master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act, in the very act. Now it says that Moses in the law commended us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? They were trying to trick Jesus, my friends. But here they were, my friends. If we live lives of inconsistency and we live lives of judgmentalism, my friends, I don't think that word's in the, in the vocabulary, but it's in mine. When we judge others, my friends, upon, you know, when we don't have the love of Jesus Christ, well, how was their judgment? It was lopsided. We know the scripture in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It says that if a man and a woman both are caught in adultery, they should both be stoned. And where was the man? They drugged this woman out here to make a spectacle of her, to try to tempt Jesus. And it says, and this they say, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. They wanted to find any fault they could with Jesus. But Jesus stooped, it says, stooped down and with his finger, he wrote on the ground as though that he heard them not. 
And when they continued asking him, lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they heard, they which heard, they were convicted. They were convicted. We talked about conviction the other nights we preached. They were convicted by their own what? Consciences. That is a blessing. Tonight, my friends, a conscience is a beautiful thing. You say, I wish my conscience would leave me. I wish I wouldn't be convicted. I wish that conscience would quit speaking to me, my friends. There's nothing better than a sharp conscience. When you write a letter, you want to make sure that the tip of that pencil is as sharp as it can be. Why? You want something that is written plain and pure. And that is exactly the way we need to have our consciences if we're going to answer to God and hear His voice. It's got to be sharp. How is that? Through the washing of the water of the Word. I believe our consciences are sharp as we heed to the commandments of God, as we heed His voice and obey Him. You know, God, He's not, you know, we hear a lot about spiritual growth. And I know I get off on bunny trails, but there's spiritual growth. Everybody wants spiritual growth, my friends. But there's very few people that want to obey what they already know. And God is not going to give you any more than what you already know and are obedient to it, my friends. Do you believe that? I believe that. That's the way God operates. He's not going to. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says there that we are to grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know, a lot of people want to start at the top. And we start with what we know, my friends. We need to be obedient for what we know already and practice that, and God will bring us more. They were convicted in their hearts by their own consciences. Our consciences are a beautiful thing. I believe that God has placed that in every human being. Why? Because we know what is morally right and wrong. Many people may not even have been taught the Bible, but there's a lot of things of Christian values that they know because of their consciences. It is something of God placed that in when he breathed into them the breath of life. It was different than the mammals and the animals and the reptiles. We are a part of God. He made us in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We're made of body, soul, and spirit. There's a lot of Trinities in this world. You know the thing of it is, we're, we've been blessed. There's a part of God in us in a way, and we want to honor Him. He created us that we would bring glory to Him, not to bring glory to ourselves. To bring glory to God. And it says... You know, when their conscience were pricked, it says that they went out one by one. It says from the elder to the younger. They went out into the last. The Jesus, it says, was left alone and the women standing in the midst. In verse 10, and when Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none. He says, there's none but the woman. He said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. And then he had another thing to say. He said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And then it goes on and says, Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. And those who follow him, they shall not be in darkness, but they shall have light of life. I spent some time to paraphrase this little story. If you give me the opportunity, I'd like to read it. How the account must have been. And there's other scriptures in the Bible that I've been working on and bringing out as scriptural as I could a paraphrased story on them. Tonight, I'd like to address the topic uh, that of dropping your rocks for the rock. Almost since the beginning of time, humans had a brutal, simple way of dealing with wrong. It was rocks. Someone would point out an offender in the clan, in the community, in the family. In the camp, and everyone would come running. Picking up a cold, hard stone, they would violently cast their votes against wrong again and again and again. It was their way. It was their way. But one day in the Mideast, a man stepped in front of the rock throwers and changed things forever. A woman had been caught in the act. There was no denying. It wasn't hearsay. It wasn't suspicion but caught in the very act of adultery. Dragging her out, they forced her to stand in the midst of the crowd, and they pressed in on her angrily with rocks. Rocks in their hands. Hot tears must have spilled down her cheek with shame and guilt. Where was the man? 
My friends, tonight, as we look at this subject, you know, when we live lives that are inconsistent, we are not going to be able to make clear judgment. And that's exactly what these leaders of righteousness were all about. They were not living consistent lives. Where was the man? And according to Moses' law, he was to be brought to. She was alone. She was alone. They, there they were, the self-proclaimed upholders of moral righteousness and super pious pillars of the community, now armed with evidence and crowd-pleasing indignation over wrong. Perhaps her stomach nodded. Have you ever been in that situation? If you had tonight, Jesus Christ is one that has listened to you and will listen to you if you surrender to him. I believe her stomach nodded. When we get into a crisis and we feel the world's closing in on us for some reason, our stomach's not. It was perhaps so tightly knotted that she could hardly breathe, this woman. Her dignity was shredded. Her spirit was drenched with dread and fear. The truth is that she had sinned and was caught. And now she was dead-ended in the circle of judges with rocks in their hands. Have you ever noticed how good it feels to have a rock in your hand and holding it real tight and throwing it just right? There's many of us that we hear something and we have this preconceived idea we know the answers. We've got the answer. In fact, we've got the right admonition. That rock feels good, and when we finally let it fly, it gives us some kind of a tremendous release that I have spoken something that has maybe helped someone. What we don't know so many times, it's rocks. Each person's rock carried the weight of the community's judgment. It had become a familiar scene. They would yell, wrong, caught, punish. They would throw and throw until the one in the center was still, very still. Thousands of years later, they still do. They still do. Rocks mean two things. That is pain and death. Oh, we're too sophisticated in the 21st century to be throwing granite around. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. But the words that we throw in judgment are as hard and as cold as the rocks of old. The story goes, perhaps, of a carload of teenagers that were out late at night. They had an accident, and all four of them in the vehicle were killed. Their life was snuffed out. The truth is, the fact that they should not have been out that late. They should not have been speeding, and so forth. That's the truth doesn't ease the pain of the parents. It doesn't ease the pain of the loved ones. Have you been there? We always think it's out there, but what is it home? It's different. How many of us bear the scars and the bruises from the rocks that have been thrown at us? As you throw, we convince ourselves. We throw the rocks, we convince ourselves that if we, that the rock lands exactly in the right place, it's going to knock out sin. It'll knock out evil. And we can sometimes knock sense into a person with a rock, but we can never knock out sin. Depends on who it is or what it is. There's just not enough rocks. And there aren't. There's not enough rocks. If we could actually throw a rock and hit all the evils in the world, we would run out of rocks long before all the evils would be taken care of or the wrongs be made right. All the rocks in the universe cannot fix the bone that's broken in this world. How about the thousands of people that their life was snatched away when the ten Twin Towers came down? What about the 168 that their lives were snuffed out in Oklahoma City through a terrorist bombing? Are there enough rocks to fix what was broken? When their only sin was that they arrived for work that morning. But somehow we want to 
fix things with our rocks. When that man stepped out in the crowd of rock throwers that day and scribbled in the sand, he reminded a group of angry people who wanted to beat the sin out of her that it just wasn't possible. And he wasn't going to let them try just because they would feel better. They could kill her, but that wouldn't solve the bigger problem. And he came to solve the bigger problem. So we don't have to with our pathetic rocks. What Jesus wrote in the sand that day, we don't know. We don't know for sure. Perhaps maybe the men that had slept with her, this woman. Or did he just scribble patterns in the sand and allow their tempers to cool down? Or did he write something like different like this, such as, what if she was your daughter? That would have changed how they felt. Whatever he wrote, he drove the point home with these words, If any is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Silence. Silence. Their silence spoke volumes. No one said anything. His words disarmed all their accusations. He cut right at the heart, the root of self-righteousness. And for all times, he's leveled the playing field between the accused and the accusers. He go, gave those of us who have made some of the wrong choices in life, maybe some of the baddest choices that could be a safe place to be broken without being destroyed. That's what Jesus came to do, to bind up the brokenhearted. I don't know where you're at tonight in relationships or your life, I can't see in your heart, but we know that God can. And I don't know what you're experiencing tonight, what you've experienced last year, or what you will experience tomorrow, should the Lord tarry. And whenever we find ourselves a part of the angry circle of rock throwers with our own rocks in our hands raised, he confronts us with a choice, that between love and judgment. A choice between love and judgment. He didn't ask the accusers to drop their rocks. You know what? He never does. He never does. He just challenged them to consider their own hearts. Their own hearts. In essence, deal with yourself before you deal with anyone else. In saying this, Jesus is not and never has been soft towards sin. Jesus never minimized wrong. Nor does he compromise, nor will he ever. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that must he also reap. Be not deceived. There's two things that we judge the most harshly. Are those things we, which we don't struggle with, and those things which we struggle with the most. If we don't struggle with an issue, it's easy for us to make a hard line and have no compassion. And if we do struggle with an issue, we may be the harshest of all judges because we condemn in others the very thing that we try to deny and hide in ourselves. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, it says, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. It's like a boomerang. I don't understand. I don't know, understand the ways of God. But let me tell you one thing. If that's the way, if you do that, if you judge in a wrong way, my friends, it's going to come back on your head. How do I know that? Because it's like a boomerang. I don't understand that. My boys have asked me, Dad, how do you know that? Because it's a principle. It's a principle. What you do is going to come back on your head for yourself. I do believe that. And that is the Holy Ghost. That is God directing it. And aren't we thankful that he does that? And we pray to God he would do it in this life. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verse 24, that there's some men's sin that go before them into judgment, and there's other men's sins that follow after. And I trust tonight that our sins are going before us. The baggage we've been carrying. The bitterness. The animosity. I know humanity. 
You may not have experienced what I have and I have and what you have, but I know humanity. And you know why? Jesus came for all of our needs. Jesus came for our needs tonight. Tonight, don't become discouraged, depressed. I know what that is. I've struggled with those things. There's hope in Jesus. That's why Jesus Christ came. We have our issues. We have our struggles. But Jesus Christ came for those. Most of us have been used to lining up on the loveless sides of judgment. And we've done it for years. In fact, we've grown up in the rock quarry. We've grown up becoming champion throwers at our favorite sins. We believe we can hit them every time, right on bullseye. Every time, even if it's 500 miles away from home. We hear a story and we pass judgment. Is God pleased with that? We say something, we hear something, and we say, Ah, oh, okay, you know, we've got an answer. The Bible says in Proverbs, in chapter 18, verse 13, He says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it is as a fool. How many of us have done that? We answer a matter before we know the un understanding of it. And you know what? Many of us know exactly how to remedy it. And we don't even know the story. I believe our churches could benefit from understanding that God is in control. Jesus was not minimizing sin here, nor should we. One day we arrive at the circle just in time to see one of our own loved ones dragged into the circle. Or maybe one day our door is thrown open and to our horror, the circle of accusations and rocks are closing in upon us. These are drop your rock moments. Love is giving us a chance to choose. When a person makes a wrong choice, are we willing to leave theory and opinion behind and enter the gritty reality of relationship and love and try to understand and try to help and heal that situation through Jesus Christ? As we listen to a story, I have to think as David listening to the story of Nathan. Can you imagine how David might have felt? And I preached that the first evening, that of revival. How David might have clenched his fists at the story that Nathan was sharing. Clenching the fist in anger. There was something that tightened up inside David, I believe. And I believe the rock that he had in his hand, figuratively, tightened around that rock. He wanted to throw it so bad. He wanted to throw it so bad. You want to say exactly what you think of people's sins and try to beat it out of them. Love is giving you a chance to choose tonight. Seeing your own loved ones dragged in, the circle is the most challenging of all. When it hits home. For it invites us for the first time to step between the accuser and our beloved. And we see, we can see in the mirror of the emotions the way that we have shut people out by rigid compartments and categories and carelessness that we have treated and how we've treated them. And we stare at the ugly face of judgment in the mirror. How is it with you? We drop our rocks and they fall to the ground with a flat thud, the sound of grace, ammunition falling. I still remember years ago, there was a certain situation that happened in our congregation, and there was this bishop, and he was making these accusations, and he was writing these letters to all different bishops and different communities. And I didn't know how to get a hold of it, but I knew what he was saying was not true in my heart. Billy Sunday once said that the untruth is around the world halfway before you can get your boots on. That's exactly the way it is. And so the letters that I received from the bishop, he didn't send them to me, but to other communities, and they somehow found their way back into my mailbox. 
And I carried those around, and I thought, you know what? If I ever need them, I've got the right ammunition. The right ammunition. Didn't that make me feel good? And I still remember, years ago, back, I believe, in 06, maybe, 5 or 06, there was a man by the name of Abner Kaufman was out in the high school gym preaching one night, and I was convicted. Should a bishop be convicted? I was convicted. My conscience are keen. I was convicted. I had a choice. What do I do? I had the right ammunition here in my pocket. And I could use it against him anytime I wanted to. He was preaching about Saul and David that night. And David had the, admoni he had the ammunition to destroy Saul. But he didn't. That night this poor wretch walked up. An evangelist, a bishop, walking up front. Why? Because I was convicted. You know what? I felt God could not move until I got rid of Truman. I had to get rid of myself. I had to get rid of the ammunition I had against that man. Allow God to do it. My friends, the Bible does say that the things that we bind on earth are going to be bound in heaven. And the things that we loose on earth are going to be loosed in heaven. And that is a truth. A lot of people think it's got to do with black socks and white shirts. My friends, it may. But it's got a lot to do with the things that we harbor in our hearts. And I'll tell you what. Once I found freedom in that. I went home that night after the service. And I had my own bonfire. I started a fire and I dropped those letters in. I said, Lord, I can't do this. I can't. What if I need evidence? I can't do this. The Holy Spirit kept tapping. He said, you need to get rid of all. I said, couldn't I keep one? He said, no. Not a one. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Tonight, if you're harboring grudges, something that you've had for a week, two years, or a lifetime, that we need to release it. Why? Because God's not going to do a work in your life until you get rid of it. I know that. I'm a living testimony of it. As soon as that was taken care of, I not alone had a freedom, but there was freedom in a lot of areas. There was freedom in the congregation. There was freedom in the home. There was freedom, my friend. Why? Because what was loosed on earth, God acknowledged that, and he loosed it in heaven. It wasn't long after that 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 bishop and his son came to meet with my wife and I. Why? We had a good time together. Could I have done that? Would he have come if I would have kept doing that? Holding on to the ammunition I had? No. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Today we have a good relationship. Why? Because this vessel had to give up. You think the other person has got to give up. Let me tell you, my friends, you repent. You give up, and there's going to be revival. It doesn't matter about the other person. God will work with them. We need to take care of ourselves. We drop the rocks, and they fall to the ground with a flat thud, and it's the sound of grace. If the adulterous woman had been somebody's beloved, the people might have dropped their rocks for her, but she wasn't. She was helpless, she was weak, and she was vulnerable. In fact, you know what? She was everybody's nobody. Can you imagine the easy prey she was? She was an easy target for them to hide behind, for she meant nothing to them, but she had sinned. There was no one in the crowd without blackness in their heart that night or that day. But would anyone acknowledge that? If they scorned her publicly, they would not have to think of their own sin. But there, she stood possibly nearly naked, fearful, ashamed, guilty, dignity shredded. Perhaps she fell to her knees and clasped her arms around herself tightly. As she felt, she braced herself to feel the first rock being thrown at her. She waited in agony, afraid, as she stared at the ground through her tears. Perhaps she couldn't re stop replaying the moments of the morning. The door being broken into, forced outside, and dragged through the streets. She was so clearly caught. 
She was lost in her thoughts, perhaps almost missed the sound of the thud of the first rock, and then another, and then another, then shuffling of feet, and then stillness. His voice alone broke the silence. He asked, woman, where are those thine accusers? Eyes still cast down. She saw no men, no feet around her, just rocks laying here and there. Still, she couldn't lift her head. Everyone else was gone. Only he was left. In a tender voice, this was only the way that Jesus could speak, my friends. He spoke to her. He asked her, As no man condemned thee, she said, No man, Lord. Now she was at the mercy of God, the mercy of God, and he was about to speak. Speak those words which we all desire to hear. Neither do I condemn you. For the first time she lifted her head. When she had done wrong, there was, and you have done wrong, and I have done wrong. There are no sweeter words that we can hear than the words of forgiveness. And also to feel forgiveness. And then he said one more thing. He said, go and sin no more. The same love that called others to drop their rocks was also giving her a chance to choose. See, this woman was at a fork in the road in her life. See, grace does not let us off the hook, but it sets us free. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. In verse 32 it says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. In verse 36 it says, If a man therefore shall be, make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Free indeed. This woman had a choice, my friend, to be free, to free, to go, and to sin no more. See, the go was the grace to walk in unfettered freedom. She, he granted her, Jesus granted her an undeserved pardon wrapped in a magnificent gift. In a beautiful, magnificent gift, and so does he to us. He said she was free to go and sin no more. The sin no more was the cost of staying free, you see. Would you really sin no more? Would she sin no more? If God's grace and mercy would come down and visit you tonight and give you a pardon for the sins that you have committed and are in and they're not confessed tonight, do you believe the fact that his grace would be sufficient for you to go on in life if you brought it before the altar, brought it before the, under the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe the challenge is that go and sin no more. It's going to depend on which road she chooses to take on her newfound freedom. Would she go back to her old street life or would she feel the power and strength of love and forgiveness? That was given to her as a gift. To never look back and to go and sin no more. See, our rocks will never change the world or a person. Not only scar it with fear and hate, it will only scar it with fear and hate and disgrace. And how many times have I been involved in that? Throwing rocks will never make us more loving. So the next time someone comes trembling in fear and tells you something you really didn't want to hear, or you see your own sin in someone else's life. Or your loved one is braced to feel your stone, cold, hard words. You'll know what to do. You'll know what to do. What would Jesus do? And when you answer that question, you will know what to do. Loosen your grip and listen for the thud of grace as, it, as you choose love over mercy. Love over mercy. The only one who had the right to throw a rock is the one that had never sinned, ever. The only one without blackness in his heart. The only one without a record of lying and stealing or slandering or even compromising the Father's standards. Only he was worthy to pick up the rock. And he did. He became the rock, my friends. He became the rock and took care of wrong for all time. He stands between us and our accusers. He still lifts us up and sets us on the path of freedom. When he knelt in the sand that day, 
just maybe he wrote these words. My rock is bigger than yours, and I will handle this one. And as I think about that, Jesus Christ is the rock of ages. The rock of ages. The Bible does say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, I believe it is, it says that that rock, that spiritual rock, which followed them, it says, it says that's where they drank from. It was the one that they drank from. The Bible also says in Matthew chapter 21, is in verse 44, it talks there that he is a rock. And we need to fall upon the rock and become broken. Or if we don't, my friends, the day is coming when that rock will fall upon us and crush us to powder, the Bible says. He is the rock. And my friends, my friends, this evening, I believe that that rock is like a, when I think of a little bird out there in the, the big clevises of, the, of nature, out there in the valleys where there's a big storm coming. There's rocks on both sides with cliffs in, inside. The little swallows are flying in. And we see this little bird flying up into the cleft of a rock, and there he finds safety. My friends, I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to see the cleft in the side of Jesus Christ. It is the cleft right there, my friends. We, in the cleft, we hide ourselves. We hide ourselves in the cleft of the rock, my friends. That is where Jesus Christ, that is where the church began. We need to find ourselves in the cleft of the rock. We need to find ourselves there in protection. He is the rock. He is the cleft of the rock. The day that they took him, they took him out to the garden that evening, Aaron Gethsemane, and there he was burned. He was in travail. He was, he was afflicted, my friends. He was there with his disciples, the ones that were very closest to him. And he asked them to be with him. My friends, have you ever been in a situation where your friends have forsook you? He was in a very dire need, and there he was. He was, I believe, the Bible says that he was in prayer to the Father. And he was praying, the Bible says, there was sweat as drops of blood that fell from his face. And he was there praying to the Heavenly Father. And he was looking, I believe, into the cup, the cup of suffering that he had to go through. And he just pled to the Father, it's, you know, if you can remove this cup from me, oh Lord, if you would just do that. You know, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ in Hebrews, it says that he, was, he learned obedience to the things he suffered. He suffered and died for us, my friends. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it says there that I may know him. There's a, we live in a time when a lot of people like to claim that verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We all want to know that, my friends. But the Bible also says that we mean understand the fellowship of his suffering and be made conformable unto his death. How is that? That means a life of sacrifice, a life of surrender. You know, we like all, like the Apostle Paul said, we like to live in the surrender life. We like to live in the power of Jesus Christ. And also, but are we willing to enter into the fellowship of his suffering and be made conformable unto his death, the death of the cross, my friends? We may not all suffer and die at the hands of the Romans on a, soul, on a cross, but my friends, I trust before you've been born again, you have wrestled with that and that you have come up as a new man. The Bible says that a corn of wheat, except it fall to the ground, there it says it biteth alone. It doesn't just stop it. It says, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it cannot bear fruit. It will stay dead. It will stay dead. You know, the thing of it is, there's a lot of people today that like to name the name of Jesus Christ. You know, we have the gospel that is very wide and very shallow in our world because of freedom and affluence or whatever you might call and casualty. You know, I think the casualness of Christianity in this world is breeding casualties. It's breeding casualties. We become softest leaders in the church because we're afraid we're going to lose members. There Jesus was wrestling, wishing his friends would be with him. They were somewhere sleeping, sleeping. My friends, they were sleeping. The Bible says that we are to be sober and be watchful, diligent. The Bible says it isn't in Peter. It says in Peter there that we are to be diligent, that we work, that we uh, escape. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we do that? They took Jesus out there on the cross. It was a place of bones. The Bible says it was Golgotha. I don't know what you think of when you think of Golgotha, but it was a terrible place. It was a terrible place to go. It was a place, I believe, they took the very biggest sinners out there, and they took him out there, and they crucified him there. He was crucified 
in a place of bones, in a dastardly place for you and I. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the peace that we can have, was laid upon him. With his stripes we are healed. It was those stripes that appeased the father not to see his son suffer, but for the sins that the world could be saved. The sins of the people for your sins and my sins. There he hung before. Right there he was lifted up. As the Bible says it in John chapter 3 verse 14. It says there as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. It says, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, and those that look upon him shall be saved and call upon him. The Bible says if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. That is a call of faith, my friends. It is not just a casual call. It is a call of faith. You know, those there Jesus hung between righteousness and unrighteousness, light and darkness, heaven and hell, all kinds of things. He stood there in between. There he was standing there. He was lifted up for all the world to see. My friends, that place is no more Golgotha, but what do we call it today? It has got to do with life. It's called, would you say it, Calvary. It is now to do with life. When that Roman soldier came up to Jesus and he had already aspired, he stuck that sword, that spear in the side of Jesus, perhaps under his ribs, and their blood and water flowed for him for the forgiveness of mankind, my friends. There it flowed out. And when Jesus had cried, it is finished. It says in the Bible that the veil in the temple was rent. That great big veil that kept us out of the Holy of Holies. There it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. It says there in the Bible that he has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. I know he was maybe talking about the Jews and Gentiles, but he was talking about us as humanity. I believe he was talking about the thing, the walls that have been erected in relationships. He has come to break that down and we can enter into relationship. We can have a horizontal relationship because of our vertical relationship, my friends. And then we now have the Bible says in John chapter 12 verse chapter 4 verse 12 it says that we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities what was all points tempted like as we are and yet without sin and oh my friends this evening let's not come before him in in arrogance but it says that therefore come before him in boldness that we may receive what mercy mercy and find grace and help in time of need that is our high priest today tonight I don't know what you're struggling with I'm just getting started to preach. It's time to quit. But it is, it is something to do with forgiveness. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'd like to read two verses that are very, very important that I believe that we need to look at. And, you know, we oftentimes say, I just, oh, Lord, you know, forgive me. But if we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. The Bible says in, in Psalm is it 66, verse 18, it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And oh, my friends, we need to pray as the psalmist did in Psalm 139. It says in verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and search me, and see if there's any wicked way within me. That's the way we need to come before the Lord. You know, I don't know how your prayer life is tonight, but if you prayed and the heavens seem like gates of brass, you can't go through. There's like bars of steel there, and that is the strongholds, the forces of Satan. You know why? Because we haven't given him room. Because we haven't forgiven. And it's so easy. And yet it's such a struggle. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 14 it says here. It says in 14, if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if we forgive men not their trespasses, what happens? Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There it is. It's so simple. We have so much judgment. We have so many things that we like to put up smoke screens. We have so many things that we don't want people to know. Oh, they see how good we look. It's cheap. I'm not minimizing how we should look. But that's cheap in the eyes of God. When the heart is in the flux of the matter. I'd like to close before prayer. With a little statement here. There was a young boy that grew up in the east. 
And him and his father had words. He became rebellious, and he left home in a fit of anger. He boarded a train and went out west and worked on a rodeo. The rodeo fans and him were having a good time. One night, one of the boys was saved at the rodeo, from the rodeo at an evangelistic meeting, and he was talking to his fellow workers, and this boy was with them. They got the boy to go to the revival meetings, and he was saved that night. He was saved that night. And so there was a time came when there was a train headed back to the East Coast. He wanted to go back to his parents. But he wrote them a letter before he went home. He said, I want you, I'm coming through at a certain day on a train. And I want you, if you have forgiven me for what I've done at your house and to your lives, I want you to hang a white ribbon on the apple tree beside the railroad track. The young boy was on the train, and there was an evangelist that was out west preaching. It wasn't the same church, but there was one preacher who was coming back, and he sat up beside him. He asked the young boy, can I sit beside you? And he said, yes. They traveled for a good many miles, and they didn't say a word. And finally, the preacher looked over, and he looked at the young boy, and he was, he was weeping. The young boy was weeping, and finally, the pastor said, is there something I can help? And he told him the story of how when he was young, in the fit of anger, he hit his father. My young men tonight, don't ever hit your father. He said, I rode home and I asked my parents if they can forgive me, if they'd hang a white ribbon on the apple tree. He said, I just can't bear to look and we're getting right close. And the pastor said, I will look for you. And they come up past the apple tree and the pastor looked out. He says, you have to see this. He says, the apple tree is full of white ribbons. It's got white sheets all over it. And Mom and dad are out and kneel beside the apple tree. And this gave the young man consolation to be able to go home. Tonight, as we pray at the close of this service, we're going to close. How does your apple tree look? Let us bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening at the close of this service. Lord, you've been faithful, God. You've spoken to us. You've spoken to me, Father. The words, I just pray that you would allow these words to penetrate into each one of our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would bless this event and that the community could be reached. And that we pray for this community that you would bind the powers of darkness that it could not prevail. In the name of Jesus and upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that they, they would have to turn to you, Lord, for peace. Tonight I pray for everyone that's here. Pray that you would be near them. Keep your hand over them. And in these next few moments, Father, I pray that all those that are here would be open and would be faithful to you and your spirits wooing tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.